Hello, and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sibling, and a former athlete. I work full time. I am the founder of Rapid, a nonprofit organization, and I'm legally blind. I am so excited about opening the conversation about everything equity. We will primarily be talking about disability, as that is my lived experience, and it is often the minority left out of the equity conversation. I am passionate about equity for all identities, as I have family members from the communities of color, LGBTQIA, disabilities, and we span all ages. It is my goal to normalize these conversations, get people comfortable with the uncomfortable, and include everyone. After all, we are all human. Hello, everybody. Happy Monday. I hope you are all safe out there. I hope you are staying well and staying inside. Many of the states that listen to this podcast are at shelter in place right now. And so I hope this content gets your mind off things a little bit. And I just hope everybody is safe and taking care of themselves and their families as best as they can in such a crazy time. So please know that I'm thinking about all of you and I hope everything is well for everyone. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today. I'm so excited to have another awesome interview. I have Dion Jordan on with me today, and we are just going to be talking again about everything equity. Dion and I had the opportunity to get to know each other at Multnomah County, where I formerly worked, and he still currently works as the Equity and Inclusion Manager for Department of County Human Services at Multnomah County. So I want to welcome Dion. I'm going to give you the opportunity, Dion, to go ahead and introduce yourself so I don't completely butcher it, and we can go from there. Yeah, thank you. Um... So, as I said before, uh, Dion Jordan, uh, Equity Inclusion uh, Champion, been doing the work now for probably around 15 years before it was really as popular um, as it is now. And so I've had the opportunity to do a lot of trainings and a lot of speaking and coaching around uh, equity uh, inclusion um, and also trying to help people see the things that they're often missing uh, when it comes to equity. And so I have my own uh, business called Sayubodo, uh, which deals with um, centering uh, racial equity and uh, racial justice. Um, and at the same time, also work with um, um, individuals in schools and oh. trying to help them to be able to be a little more courageous in their conversation. Awesome, what does that look like? Tell me a little bit more of that, about that. Uh, which one? Um, the, with, the, the, with the kids, yeah. Yeah, so very, um, it is very intriguing to hear young people and how they see it um, when it comes to equity, when it comes to uh, racial justice, because of the generation, right? So uh, mm -hmm. a simple example I could use is something as simple as, let's say, the N-word, right? And so for an older generation like myself, using something like the N-word is like, no, like, you don't do it. And there's such a history we truly understand where some of the younger generation, it's in their music. You know, it's almost, they feel like it's part of their culture of language and they mm -hmm. don't really understand the, 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 the power of the word at that age. And so we had just a great dialogue probably the last week just around that word that, that appeared um, in the classroom. And one of the things that we shared was 
you know, even if one of, uh, now I was talking to a group of uh, African-American students uh, because some of their white friends would use the word and they would say, oh, they're, they're our friends. And, you know, this is like in junior high, actually. Okay. Um, and they're like, you know, we, it means something different for our generation. And I said, well, they use it now. You may not feel it, but as they get older and they're your white friends, power goes with them. And when they, that word is used with power as they get older, you're going to realize that all of a sudden it's going to have a different meaning to you. Oh, and yeah. so it's those kind of conversations, those real type of conversation and helping youth to, to see things without putting our burdens on them, right? Absolutely, And yeah. some of the things that we went through. And so when we talk about race with children, how can we do it in such a way that informs them that they can make the best informed decisions around it and not take on some of the jaded things that the older generation had to endure um, to make it seem like it's such a taboo conversation. So very intriguing. And the young minds are are some great minds. And so uh, I relish in those opportunities. Okay, I'm gonna come back to that, but keep going with your intro. Tell us about yourself and all that good stuff. (laughs) Sure, yeah. So um, as I said before, I've been, talking about um, race equity uh, and inclusion for about about 15 years or so. I think I probably got into it when I was a teacher. I used to be a sixth grade teacher Mm. when I first uh, graduated from college. And being a teacher, I was living in Portland, Oregon, and also in California at the time. Uh, So I had a great opportunity to really work with students um, in different communities. And I think that's where I really realized how important it is to to look at the systemic um, racism and some of the barriers that are in education. Mm. And so starting at that young age, um, it just became more and more of a passion of mine. And so I went from teaching full time to speaking part time. And then I got a lot of speaking engagement. So then I had to make a decision. So then (laughs) I was speaking full-time and teaching part-time. <laughs> I said, you know, I have to let something go. And then I just decided, you know what, let me go out there and empower many people as possible around this topic. Awesome. And uh, that's how I got into it. Very cool. Okay. So just uh, in case uh, viewers haven't seen your bio or anything else, how do you identify as a, as a human? <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. So I am a African-American, uh, able-bodied male, uh, and I use the pronoun uh, he, him. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, perfect. So just going off that um, story and the, your experience with kids, I talked to my son who's 16 and he is, has uh, kids in his, his school that identify with gender pronouns as they, them. And mm-hmm. for him, I find it's much, much easier for him to adapt his language and it is becoming I wouldn't say second nature, but much more of an easy transition to some of these um, differences in, in people in general mm-hmm. um, than it is with, you know, if we're in the workplace, gender pronouns that people often say, you know, I just can't gra- grammarly, not as, as far as <laughs> using it in my proper grammar because of what we've been ingrained in all our lives. That's the hardest part. For people um, mm-hmm. but in general not just with gender pronouns do you feel like kids are more aware these days are more this is more integrated into their world like you said the language is it normalized and in a positive way or is it normalized like you're saying like they hear the n-word all the time so they think that's normal and okay to say 
Um, right. Where do you feel like this generation is with um, equity and inclusion compared to us, let's say? Yeah, you know what, that's a, man, that's, that's a great question, Emily. <laughs> uh, and so a couple of thoughts come to mind with it. And on one part, I really believe that the generation coming up is going to be in such a better place. I think uh, they're going to be exposed to, to, to more knowledge, more people, um, and more experiences. And so I think from that standpoint, as time goes on, I think we're going to have uh, more empathy for one another, uh, more knowledge about one another, uh, and, and, uh, and more love for one another. So I think from that standpoint, we're going to definitely be in a better place. At the same time, I still think it's so important that the older generation does a good job at still educating the younger generation, so they don't make the mistakes that we made, right? Absolutely, um, so, yeah. so they don't do some of the things that, and have some of the biases and default thinking that we had. And so mm -hmm. that's where I think we, we really need to be able to come together for a better tomorrow, for a better future for everybody, right? Because we are all looking to, you know, try to live the best life possible. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so rolling off that question into a question about our generation and a lot of the work we've done together, uh -huh. there's the big push and want and need for allyship. Right. And so what does that look like for the listeners who out there who really do want to be better allies, who want to, you know, especially with the white privilege that, you know, I and many of us in especially the Portland area hold, what does mm -hmm. allyship look like for not just racial, not just gender, disability, I mean, all of us, what does that look right. like? And how, if you were uh, going to advise somebody who's listening today, how do I be a better ally? What's that first step or that middle step that I can take if I'm if I've at least aware of allyship? Yeah, yep. So I think one of the, you know, there, there's a few things that come to mind when I, when I think of allyship. Mm -hmm. One is definitely um, know where you sit, you know, and, and where your power sits. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think there's such an opportunity and responsibility uh, when you do carry a privilege or you do carry um, a power of any sort. And so, first of all, really recognizing where you are with that. Like, for example, um, uh, if you happen to be white, then you understand that there are certain privileges that you have and, and certain places um, that you might, your voice uh, might be lifted up. And so where can you take that voice? And what can you do with that privilege? And, and same as me as, as an able body, like, you know, understanding what privilege I have with that and the responsibility goes with that. So I always think that's step one. Um, and with that uh, privilege and with that responsibility is to really center the voice of, of the marginalized, right? We don't necessarily need to speak for anybody uh, but we need to help center their voice. Um, and uh, I think something that uh, allies can do is go back to their community, right? They don't yeah. need to go into the marginalized communities and be a voice um, <laughs> and, and be a worker. We've got that. What yeah. we need is we need you all to go to your communities, right? Exactly. Need, exactly. Uh, and, and do that um, kind of work. And so that's important because if you come into the marginalized community and say, hey, I want to do the work, you, you might step on somebody, right? You mm -hmm. might move over somebody. You'll have that hero feeling, a complex of coming in to save somebody. No, we don't need saving. Yeah. <laughs> for you to be able to um, go to your communities and share and educate them. So I, I think that's uh, of great importance. Um, the other thing allies can do is uh, homework. Like, 
if you're really interested in being an ally, there's so much information that you can find on your own, that, that, that you can do on your own. And so definitely take time to do that work, right? Because you don't want to be an ally and be an added weight in the midst of it. Exactly, yeah. And, and so for, you know, an example for that is if I wanted to be an ally to the LGBTQ community, um, but I didn't do my homework, so I'm always asking them the right thing to say, the right thing to do, and all the time. Now, I'm like that, you know, that extra worker that you hired that is actually giving you more work. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Right, and so definitely if we could do our homework, I think that's good. And then the it. third thing I'll share uh, just on allyship, uh, to be transparent and fair, is understand that it comes with a risk, right? Um, and the risk that it comes with is, that if you're coming to be an ally, ex don't expect all the the rosy days. There's gonna be some dark days, and and I like yeah. Um, if if I'm a person of color and you're gonna stand next to me uh, as a white person, understand they might throw something at you too. <laughs> then all of a sudden, by supporting me, they're gonna talk about you and they're gonna isolate you too. Absolutely, yeah. Stay in the race with me on that on those days, or are you going to run back to your community where you feel safe? And yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. Understand the risk that go with it, and, and, and stay in there with us, right? We don't have the opportunity to walk away from this race. We got to finish our race, and if you want to be an ally with us, we're asking that you, that you stay in the race uh, with us as well. Perfect. Yeah. It's really. I mean, I think I was talking to somebody else. I can't remember who, but we were talking about. You know, when we think of white privilege, that's the one that's really brought out. White privilege, white privilege, white privilege. And mm -hmm. you hear that a lot in this equity conversation. But like you were saying at the beginning of that, it's we all have privilege of some kind. That's right. Whether it's race, whether it's gender, whether it's, you know, able-bodied, whatever that is, we have to, you know, be okay with recognizing that. And, and that's something I'm very aware of. I know I get in many rooms because of my white privilege, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of rooms I don't get invited into because of the, the, it, the um, disability piece of my identity. And so being able to play both sides of that and understand the weakness and the strengths that I can bring to that is, is really important. But or and you know just everybody has privilege of some kind and so we have to recognize that that's right it, it taking time to to recognize that right <laughs> exactly exactly and being okay with it like there's a lot of shame around white privilege in the white community oh well i didn't you know I, da, 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 da. you know there's that argument of i was just born this way and well yeah everybody else was too but there isn't shame around it it's recognizing it and being aware of it and so i think you know, all of my messages that I speak, as you know, it's it's around the positive side of things, really keeping things positive, and there is no shame. It's just an awareness and a recognition. Hello, everyone. I just wanted to take a moment and let you all know that due to the COVID-19 virus, we are postponing our May retreat. We are now scheduled for September 18th, 19th, and 20th, and we are still looking for participants. I'm going to send out a letter here shortly, and we are also looking for wellness providers. If you're interested in either one of those, please make sure you drop us an email head over to our website at www.rapidorgan.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N.org. And we look forward to our rescheduled retreat 
September. That's September 18th, 19th, and 20th of 2020. Thank you so much. And now back to our podcast. I agree. I think the shame, I think the guilt, all that is, is just, it's not necessary. It, it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. I know that a lot of times when I talk to people or teach people or just around uh, privilege itself, speaking of white privilege as an example, um, you know, they're, they're always quick to say, well, let me tell you about the problems that I, that I had. Like, you know, like, yeah. like before, we were this, we were that. And I try to explain to people that, you know, white privilege doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have problems. What it means is being white is not one of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and the same thing with a lot of, you know, with a lot of people. So even myself as, as an able body, yeah, I got problems too, but, but able bodies is just not one of them. Exactly. Exactly. I mean that, you know, um, as an excuse on why you succeeded, but also to kind of let people know that, hey, we all have our privileges. We all have some, some sort of advantage. And what can we do to, to use those advantages and privileges to, to bring equity to, to all? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Going on. Um, so I love the phrase, all oppression is connected. And I've watched a lot of, um, you know, YouTubes and, and conversations about all oppression is connected. What does that mean to you? And how do you see it play out either in your work or in your life? Or, you know, that phrase, all oppression is connected? Yeah. Well, you know what? It's, uh, I find it to be a true statement uh, on, a, on a lot of levels. I think all oppressions are connected for one reason, because we all share um, a common struggle, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're, we're all in search of uh, equity. We're all in search of that sense of belonging. We're all in search of that, you know, that equality from, you know, from the, from the simple state. And so when we talk about connected is if one group can succeed, it so much so opens the door so for so many others to you know to succeed. It, it, it's able to lay blueprints and, and frameworks for others to succeed. And so, I think it's such a great opportunity when we say that um, you know that all oppressions are connected. That we don't just say it, that, but that we see it like that. That if I can mm-hmm. help you to succeed, to succeed, that I'm gonna I'm gonna succeed. You know, in the same way because. We all have an oppressor. We all have someone or something that, that's holding us down. And we're all trying to find remedies. And we're all trying to find ways to combat these, these barriers. And so I think what one person says is when, you know, when the tides rise, all the ships rise, right? Exactly, yeah. That's what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to rise, you know, all ships to rise. And, and a lot of times that's looking at these different systemic things, it's sometimes looking at these different prejudices and these different isms that all oppressors are, are victims of. Absolutely. And it, it speaks to what we were just saying about privilege is if we recognize our privilege and then recognize where we don't have privilege, right. you know, you're able to offer that and help in that, in that way to help, help all oppressed communities. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so your work, you've done a ton of work in the workplace environment, and I'm sure you've done small and large organizational work. Um, yep. if, you, if we have listeners who have just started this equity journey within their, within their organizations, where would you say for them the best place to start is? And then for those of people, let's go down the road of 
have a basic understanding or basic program in their large organization, but they don't see it making the impact. Um, what would be the starting place for small and the, that really, that generalization, obviously, of that thing that may push the, the larger organizations over that lip of, okay, now we're making progress? Yeah, great question. So, yeah, a couple of things come to mind. One is for those who are just like starting the work, kind of get into the work, I think uh, some of the best advice uh, you and I talked about earlier today around allyship and what allyship really looks like really taking that moment to understand uh, where you sit uh, as an organization and individuals uh, with your privilege. Also, the same advice around allyship, around doing your own homework before going out there and, and, and picking the brains of the, of the marginalized. Uh, what work can you do on your own first? And I think that's always step one. I think something else to consider um, that people often forget is you talk to organizations, you talk to groups, I'll get a lot of calls from people that say, you know what, I've been with this organization for a while and uh, we want more diversity. You know, we want to be able to bring more diversity into our workplace. Mm -hmm. And step one is what I tell them is, the first thing you have to do is remove, you know, that, that racism, ableism, transphobia, all those things. Otherwise, all you're doing is inviting people into harm. And so to say that we want diversity, we want to bring in all this great diversity, but you haven't taken time to assess um, these different isms that are taking place in your organization, mm. you're just inviting people to a bad situation. And yeah. so step one is really taking some time and really doing that assessment and really looking at, hey, what barriers do we have in place right now that, um, that are causing people harm, that, that are causing people not to be successful, not to feel included, um, and, and not to be able to succeed. And so I think that's step one. And that takes, if you're a new organization, bringing somebody in. It's <laughs> yeah. hard to do that on your own. I mean, it's really a matter of who can you bring in to be able to help you see what you've been missing, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. be able to call out the things that, that are there, that are sometimes invisible, but so much felt by the marginalized community. So I would definitely say that, you know, that's step one. Um, the other thing is, I think it's of great importance is, if you're serious about the work, like a lot of people say, hey, we want to be more um, diverse, we want to be more inclusive, more equitable in what we do. Okay, then you need to hire some people to do that work full time within your organization. You gotta put your, you know, your your money where your mouth is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hire people, not person, but people. That that's a lot of pressure for one person. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of work, and you know, a lot of weight for one person to carry to try to help change a whole organization to become more inclusive. But mm -hmm. to be able to to hire somebody and allow them to have some support in the work that they do is it, a great work, um, and so. That, to me, in my opinion, would be step two, right, is, is, is have someone who could dedicate their time. Because if not, what you have is you have a lot of employees that might use their spare time or a little bit of time to come together <laughs> and talk about it, but they really don't have the power or the time to really dig in deep to see what could we do to make the kind of changes that we need. So, yeah. so definitely to hire someone. I think the third step um, that comes to mind is the goal of removing the biases and the barriers that are found in people, policies, 
practices and places. So when I first come into an organization, I'm looking at, okay, you know, what, what, what changes need to be made? We can do trainings um, and help bring awareness to people. And I think that's great. But people come and people go. Unless policy is changed, unless we change some of the systems um, and the culture of, of an organization, then nothing really changes. Yeah. And that's the tough part about the culture is culture has a way of pulling itself back together, uh, the back the way uh, that works best for itself. And so it really takes um, some mindful intentions into dismantling, you know, some of this dominant culture that marginalizes so many people. And so starting with looking at the barriers and the different biases that, that are in these uh, people, policy, practices, and places, I think is, uh, is good. And so that would be my recommendation for those just starting off, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and each step is a little tougher as I, as I shared them. But for those who've been in the work a little while, so in my own uh, Sayubono work that I do, I break them into three categories, right? Mm-hmm. Either the organization or the company itself um, comes into the stage of the awakening. And to me, the awakening is what we just talked about. Those who just, you know, those organizations are just now getting to an awareness of, ooh, you know what? <laughs> Equality doesn't mean equity, right? That, yeah. That's where they are. That, that's as far as they got is we need to diversify more. We need to have more equity in our place. That's the awakening stage. To me, that's like a 101 class. Yeah. Then you graduate to the woke, right? <laughs> Organizations that, that are woke, now they're engaged in the work. Like they're ready to, to really empower their people. They're really ready to, you know, to, to get moving. Um, and so to me, that's more of a, of a master's class, right? Mm-hmm. It's woke. woke doesn't mean you're ready to do the work yet. No. It just means that you're at the point of, of, of gathering the knowledge to do the work. Because the third stage is work. You know, the organizations are ready to go out there to work. So I shared a little bit about the awakening and some of the um, great steps for the awakening. Now, for those who, who are woke and um, who are a little further along the line, they need to really be able to conquer um, and dismantle uh, white dominant culture. Yep. Um, they need to start getting familiar with, with definitions and terms and shared definitions. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who want to do the work, but they carry different definitions of simple things like what racism is. You know, they, they you know, they carry different definitions of exactly, um, what white dominant culture is. Yeah. Yeah. So if they don't share the same definition, then we're not on the same page in, in doing the work. If you're looking at racism as just prejudice that, that people have, um, and I'm looking at racism as not just prejudice that people have, but it's tied to power. Then yeah. we're looking at two different things. And yeah, we exactly. may not be on the same page. And so I think for these organizations, they really need to invest in their people and in, in getting comfortable with some of these uncomfortable terms, mm-hmm. um, getting a little more comfortable having these uncomfortable conversations <laughs> um, and really diving deep into things like microaggressions mm-hmm. that, that take place all the time. Um, and so to me, that's the type of work that, that woke people need to do. Um, and then finally, it's time, to, you know, the, the final stage is our organizations ready to do the work. Are they ready to put their money, 
you know, where their mouth is? Uh, are they ready to go ahead and go out and, and do the hiring and get people um, in places that can make decisions, right? Because yeah. a lot of times we might diversify, but, but where are they working? What, what are they doing? And so there's just so much to look at because even though um, I speak a lot around race when I talk about equity, there are so many nuances in all marginalized communities and, and so many struggles that, you know, even though uh, race might deal with a lot, they don't touch some of the things that people with disabilities have to touch. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't touch those from the LBGTQ community. Yeah. Like, for example, um, as, a, uh, as a person of color, I don't ever have the fear of, of, of my family disowning me because I'm a person of color, right? Yeah, yeah. Th that's not always the case for the LBGTQ community. That, that, you know, they actually have family members that say, you know what, no, we don't want anything to do with you. Like, you're not one of us. Yeah, you don't, you, you're not one of us. You're not the, you don't fit in. Exactly. And so there's so many things that, that are of great importance. And that's why I even said early on that when it comes to hiring somebody, you need to hire more than one person. Mm -hmm. One person might only carry so many lenses and, and so many lived experiences that they need to be able to tap into others that have those lived experiences so they can center those voices as well. Absolutely. No, that's great. It's, it's really interesting. I was talking to a company the other day and we were talking about leading with race and that concept, which I completely 100% understand and, um, and value. Absolutely. Um, and then they're talking about, so yeah, we got, we got to focus on that. We got to focus on that. And I said, okay, so I'm actually on your website right now. And mm -hmm. this is not a, to detract from leading from race at all, but it is to consider other lenses is I'm on your website right now. And your equity work and your equity plan is not accessible for me to even read. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I said, so any person with a disability, especially a white person with disabilities, um, could possibly be seen as one not engaging in the equity work. Yeah. But because you didn't consider accessibility in that equity work, and so now they can't access the documents. And they're right. like, Oh, <laughs> so good. it's again, it's looking at, okay, lead with race and what else do we have to consider in order to bring everybody along in this, in this process, in this equity process. And so that was, it's just because the needs of people with disabilities are so different than like you were saying, the pe people of race or LGBTQ or what, whatever other identity, you have to consider the basic needs in order to access all this information. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, you know, thank you for that. That is good. <laughs> Sounds really interesting. But okay, so do you have any last thoughts? Do you have anything you would like to tell anybody before we wrap up? Yeah, you know what? Uh, for those that are listening, that are just kind of interested in general um, in in equity work, um, and not just in the workplace. I think you know it definitely has to start personally, right? As as mm -hmm. a personal development, like this is who I want to be help kind of create a world that we kind of want to live in. So I think a, a few things come to mind. One is, I think what's allowed me um, to be successful, and I'll use successful in quotes, because mm -hmm. I, I, I still make mistakes, and I still harm people, um, and I'm still learning like everybody else. Mm -hmm. but, but one thing that I've learned to do um, is 
not to be judgmental, right? That, that, that everyone is, is trying to do the best that they can, you know, in life. Um, and I've made too many mistakes in my own life to, to judge when, when somebody else makes a mistake or, or, or does something wrong. And so I think having, not being judgmental, um, being humble, and, and also just having that overall desire um, to, to, to learn, I think really sets the stage to be successful in this type of development and this type of work. Um, I often, you know, think to myself, like I just said a quote, I said that everyone's doing the best that they can. <laughs> yeah. let, me, let me clarify that. I think everybody's doing the best that they know how. Yes. Yeah. I think if people knew better, they could do better. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's an opportunity for us to learn from one another, uh, you know, but in order to learn from one another, I think it's important that we get in circles and talk to people who, who are different than ourselves. Who, who look different than ourselves, who walk in this world differently. I think that's how we build our empathy. That's how we build our understanding um, and appreciation for one another. Um, and I think that kind of sets the stage um, to a more open mind, a more open heart to be able to do the type of work that, that you know, that we need to do in, in equity and in inclusion. Yes, absolutely. Okay, if people are interested in finding out about your company or about you on the social networks, is there is there a place that they can find you? Yeah, I'm all over the place. <laughs> if you're interested, the easiest way is just through my name, uh, which is Dion C. Jordan. Our recording got cut off a little bit right there, but you can find Dion at Dion C. Jordan just about anywhere and everywhere, and that's D-I-O-N. C. Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, and he is on Facebook, Instagram, he also has a website, so www.dioncjordan.com, so if you're looking to find Dion, go ahead and uh, Google him and he's everywhere. Do you or have you had a six-year-old question around disability? I do, I do, so... Uh, a real life scenario. Okay. So, um, as a child going uh, to the library at a particular school, uh, when you left the library, um, you had to go up some stairs. It was probably about 15 or 20 stairs. And there was also a ramp. Uh, I happened to have a good friend uh, who was in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And I always tried to treat my friend who was in the wheelchair just like, you know, one of the guys, just like mm -hmm. everybody else uh, in conversation and all that we did, try to invite them because I, I, I was believing that was the right thing to do. But then when we left the library, I realized uh, that we had to go up the ramp. And so I was behind them on the ramp and I wasn't sure what to do. Like, should I push them up the ramp or should I not push them up the ramp? Because um, they were, you know, they were, you know, doing it on, the, on their own, although a little bit slow. I didn't want to offend them thinking, hey, you can't do it, so let me do it for you. But at the same time, I didn't want to be a jerk and just stand there and do nothing. <laughs> yeah. Time like that, what, what do I do? All right, so this is a great six-year-old question because it's one we get often. So here's the solution to that. Again, ask the question. Also, reflect back to how you would feel if somebody took your 
uh, ability to walk down the street. Maybe somebody just comes up and links arm with, arms with you and sweeps you away to wherever you they think you're going to go. So most people would be very uncomfortable with that. Uh, and so when you're you're wanting to help somebody or you have that that uh, insight to say, hey, maybe they want some help, all you have to do is ask. Say, hey, would you like me to push you up the ramp? Uh, some people will say, absolutely, like this friend of Dion's. And then some people will say, no, thank you. I got it. I'm good. And so, again, take the disability away. Ask yourself how would I like to be treated if this was me in this situation? And then go from there. Once you determine that, you say, hey, I would really like somebody to ask me. Or maybe you would like someone to leave you alone. But if you really needed help, um, or you thought that you might need help, then just ask the question, hey, would you like a push? Or could I help you up the ramp? However you wanna phrase that. And if they say no, you say, awesome, have a great day. And it's not personal, it's not offensive, they're not doing it because they don't like you, it's just that they would prefer to do it themselves. So that's a great question, is one we often get in the classroom because people just don't know what to do. So have a great day, everybody, and have a great week, and stay safe. Thank you so much for joining me here today at Human Is My Label. Don't forget to subscribe, share this with your friends, families, and coworkers. Get out there, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, include everyone, and push yourself to be better every day. If you're interested in coaching or corporate training or learning more about RAPID, visit us at rapidorgan.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N.org. You can find me at emily.curry on Instagram and all my other social handles are below. Have a great day and I can't wait to see you next week.